Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Home of Common Sense, the world headquarters of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Of course, it is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The world has woken up this morning to something that we at this radio station have been talking about for years. The illegal migrant crisis for so long ignored by the chattering classes, for so long forgotten about by countless do-gooder organisations, for so long poo-pooed by the middle classes whose lives are frankly not affected by it, so they don't care. Finally, now they're all sitting up and taking notice. No longer is all immigration good. No more will we be hearing that all illegal migrants have a right to come to Britain and apply for asylum. It's an awful truism that tragedy like the one we've seen happening in the English Channel yesterday usually changes government policy and also focuses everybody's brains. It is now more than ever clear that the gangmasters and the people smugglers must be stopped from plying their disgusting trade in human misery. The question really is why has something not been done before? Now, surely, uh, as I've been saying for months, this single issue uh, was a threat to the government. It was also a threat to the country. It's now turned out to be a threat, tragically, to so many human lives as well. 27 people dying uh, in the Channel yesterday. This morning we'll be talking to former Brexit Party MEP Ben Habib on what must now be done to bring this deadly business finally to an end. And we'll also be talking to Craig McKinley, who's a Tory MP for Thanet, uh, who lives down in that neck of the woods where an awful lot of the people who arrive on our shores end up staying for a very, very long time. 0344 499 1000. Up first, we're joined by John Rental, Chief Political Commentator from The Independent. He'll be telling us what Boris Johnson does next. And also, I'll be asking him what is going on inside Downing Street as the Prime Minister battles several demons at the same time. He's being accused of hiring the wrong people to advise him. He's being accused of being surrounded by young people who don't seem to know uh, one end of... Uh, of the world from another and quite frankly he's not in a very good place Helen Dale's here as well with her take on the big stories of the week including the cancel culture row around JK Rowling and why Benedict Cumberbatch thinks toxic masculinity is ruining the world telling anyone who wants to listen that we should all shut up and listen well, maybe he could lead by example. 0344-499-1000. Also, the whole world is still uh, causing sensible people all sorts of problems. The Royal Ballet has reimagined, apparently, the Arabian dance uh, in the Nutcracker. Why? Because the harem dance, apparently, is potentially offensive. Merry Christmas. 0344-499-1000. Listen to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. It's time to say a very good morning and welcome to John Rental. John, welcome to uh, the World Headquarters of Common Sense. Good very nice morning. to see you. Good morning, Mike. Difficult, of course, uh, with all the front pages obviously covering this terrible tragedy in the English Channel this morning. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm right about this, but hopefully now this will surely finally mean that something has to be done and somebody in government will say, we can't go on like this. Well, I mean, as you as you rightly say, you, you have been drawing attention to this yeah. issue for a long time and you and I have discussed it many times. Uh, the, the awful truth is that it's very, very difficult to solve. I mean, mm. that's why we are uh, where we are. But right. it's got to be solved because uh, because it's only going to get worse. Mm. And um, I mean, know. it's a miracle, really, that this kind of event hasn't happened more often, isn't it? Well, there have been, you know, occasional deaths yeah. uh, reported, uh, but not... Uh, you know they they don't they don't have much of an impact and no and there's uh, been nothing on this scale nothing on this scale absolutely and and this will have this will have an effect actually mm. it will it will i imagine it will deter uh, quite a few uh, 
people from yeah. trying to make that make that crossing. But it, there's got to be a better way yes. of of deterring them and mm. of, of preventing that trade. Yes. Uh, than than the than the actual threat of, uh, of of death. Exactly right. And there isn't much point, I don't think, is there in kind of what Pretty Patel's been doing of late, which is to say the French aren't doing enough to stop it from happening. Because frankly, if it was the other way, yeah. I can't imagine we'd be doing much about stopping it either. Well, uh, there, there is always this. Uh, we we do like to believe that we we British are better at uh, at obeying international law and international agreements why. than uh, than other countries. Well, th- th- this was always the myth when we were a member of the EU that yeah. we that we abided by uh, mm. all sorts of rules. And, and the, the French, the French, the French. What, what I mean didn't. by that, though, is if there were sort of you know camps on the coasts of uh, of, of our shores, yeah. and and they were horrible places as they are in France, well, and people were leaving them to go to France. I think we'd be going. Thanks very much. Cheerio. Well, except that except that then stuff like this happens, and yeah. uh, and and if it depends on what kind of prime minister you've got. I mean, mm. I can't imagine Tony Blair would uh, would have, would have put up with that kind of situation. He would want to go to the root causes uh, and try and choke off the uh, the, the, the reasons well, I mean, for the, for what, the demand what, in the what, first what place. What is so awful about it is that only a year ago the numbers were so much smaller. Yeah. Um, even then, still quite significant if you counted them up. Five thousand in a year is still quite a lot of people. But they're now sort of talking about maybe five thousand a month in the latter end of this year well this is this is the problem once people think that it's easy mm. to get across the channel uh then they then they are going to come and yeah. as 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 has been pointed out by uh by government sources the, you know the demand for uh coming to this country is almost mm. is almost limitless so yeah. uh, uh you you can't see uh, you can't see any 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 sort of top to the to no. To, to the numbers coming across no. or trying to come And one across. of the questions that we ask consistently and have done for many, many, many months on, uh, on this show and, and on other shows is what happens to them once they're here? You know, it's yeah. all very well saying, well, they can apply for asylum, yeah. um, but that could take up to two years before they're told that either they're yes or no. Meanwhile, they're being paid to, to be put up in, 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 it may not be particularly, you know, elaborate accommodation, but no. it's still being paid for by the government. Absolutely. And Serco are making an awful lot of money and other companies making an awful lot of money off the back of it. It's, yeah. a, it's a business where a lot of people are making a lot of money well absolutely and i suspect that the the the, well i mean this isn't going to be a complete answer but but the answer is to is is unfortunately to spend more public money in the short term in order to deter uh, people from making the crossing and reduce the numbers in the in, in in the medium term and i think that involves that that does involve speeding up the asylum process. It yeah. does involve knowing what's happening to all these people. I mean, not necessarily detaining them all, but I mm. mean at least at least keeping track of them all. Yeah, uh, and knowing what's issue. happening to their cases. Because uh, because if they if they know that they're they're not likely to be able to uh, to settle in this country, uh, then then the demand will will ease off. I mean yeah. the problem, but the problem with that, of course, is that you know about half of asylum applications succeed, and mm. so uh, and and of the half that don't succeed, as we know uh, many of them uh, stay here anyway that's right and that i think is the thing that needs to be addressed because up until now one of the reasons i find it so astonishing that you know many people in the media don't talk about it is that they don't they, they, they sort of, they're frightened of going anywhere near the story they don't want to have to have that conversation where you well, say but doesn't that make you a bit of a racist if well, you don't want yeah. these people to come which of course is ridiculous well because in the end it comes down to the very difficult question uh of of people being put on those flights mm. 
uh, I mean, the ones the ones that that, that are mostly in the news are going to the Caribbean, yeah. to, to places like Jamaica. Right. Uh, but but most know, of those flights the, are deporting people who have been in prison. Yes, you know they're know. criminals. They're not just people that have come here to try and seek asylum, and now we're sending them home. They've and, been in prison. Well, so those those ought to be the easy cases yeah. for liberals to to deal with. I mean, any any liberal who believes in any immigration mm. policy at all has to accept that people will have to be put on planes. Yeah. Uh, to go to to go back to. Um, where you no. know, whichever country but it except is. there are plenty but, of people you can find loads of people guardian reading numpties in my view yeah. who will say oh well just because he's committed a crime doesn't mean he can't stay well, well why not <laughs> sorry well, well yeah, but that that in the end is not intellectually consistent because then you're saying anyone anyone who can get here uh, can stay whatever yeah, whatever they of do it's not. and that is in effect an open uh, yeah. uh, an open door immigration that, policy and, and people the, don't actually support no, that no but that's the narrative that we get from yeah. the sort of chattering classes as I refer to them because well, you know all immigration is good no immigration is bad we can't discuss the fact that some people might come here with uh, bad intent yeah. you know that's obviously off the table well there are some people who believe in, in an open door immigration policy but they're a very small uh, very small minority uh, and and you're you're absolutely right that the 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 the, the, the liberal majority who who regard immigration you know, on balance as, as as a good thing mm. still believe that there are, there have to be rules and they have to, and they have to be enforced and we have to be much tougher about that yeah. on the, on the liberal think, side of the I argument. It's time we grow up, isn't it? And we actually have the conversation. That's what I'd like to see, and it's beginning to happen. I'm listening to other stations this morning on the way in, and and they're talking about it as if they didn't know it was going on. <laughs> You're going, sorry, this has been happening for quite a long time. Well, and, and also, there's no point getting on refugee specialists who say oh but you know we've been doing this for a long time and yeah. you know the world has changed you know the refugee business has changed there's people trafficking going on yeah. there's people making vast amounts of money hundreds of thousands of pounds per boat yes. um, and and you know it has to stop and as as people realize that this is a way to get into the country there are going to be more and more yeah. and you're absolutely right i mean we you know we should have we should have known right at the start of the coronavirus crisis because that was that was when this when this really started mm. to, to to take off mm. was because people couldn't come through the the channel tunnel right uh, because uh, because of coronavirus restrictions closing down the... Although I'm told as well by Border Force people that actually we've got quite good at stopping people smuggling yeah. themselves through in lorries. Yeah, and well, that's exactly. another reason why more of them... Well, partly because we've got British Border Force yeah. people in, in Calais at that end enforcing... Mm. Uh, in, enforcing the rules, and, yeah. that, and that's quite right. But as soon as we saw uh, Nigel Farage on a beach in Kent, uh, you know, so yeah. eighteen months ago, and you have to take we should him. I mean, he has been leading the, the way on this for a very long time. Yeah, but the problem is that people think he's a joker and a and a clown. I mean, people on the liberal well, side of the yeah, argument, but he's not. Uh, but he should have been a warning to, to, to us all yeah. that this was this was going to be an issue in the in the yeah, future. Yeah, the and, same people who say, "Oh, he's never done anything. He's never been elected to anything." Yeah, he just managed to get us out of the world's biggest organised uh, crime well, organisation. He did get elected to the European Parliament. And he also got elected to the European Parliament. <laughs> anyway, we'll come back to that. Uh, take, we're going to take a small, a short break here. We're going to talk about Boris Johnson, what happened yesterday at Prime Minister's Questions, where Keir Starmer didn't quite plunge the knife in in the way that he probably should have done. Uh, but Boris is not in a good place. We'll find out why with John Rental coming next. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk Radio. John Rental is here from the Independent. We have to talk, John, about yesterday's Prime Minister's questions. Another quite lively one. It was. For me, um, it kind of gave Boris a bit of his mojo back because there's nothing, there's nowhere better for him to kind of defend himself than in that 
rather sort of, you know, Colosseum-like atmosphere. And he yeah. obviously rallied the troops. And I'm told there were lots of whip, whips walking around two days ago telling people to turn up and cheer <laughs> because it, they want to make sure that there's no spaces on the back benches. Yeah. But he is in a bit of trouble, isn't he? Yeah, and it, and it does him some good because it, it, it forces him to raise his game. And that's why, you know, Prime Minister's questions yesterday was a, was a good, lively session. Mm. I mean, that was a bit more like... You know, politics ought to yes, be. Yes, absolutely. Think. Well, the previous um, week it was really entertaining, and and Keir, Keir Starmer had actually landed some punches. I thought, but I thought yesterday it wasn't quite. He wasn't quite on the, on top form. Mr. No, Starmer. but he had some. He had some very good lines. He I did. Mean, he did say, I, "I I see they've turned up this week." Yes. you know, which is uh, which is which is quite sharp. There was, there was another great one, wasn't there? I can't remember what it was. Um, well, he said, uh, "You know, the, I think the prime minister's lost his lost his place in his notes again." Oh yeah. Uh, you know, right. I mean, he did have some. He he did have some some good lines, and they and they were well delivered. I mean, he. He lost himself in in the, in the detail as mm. he as he does tend to do when, I mean they were they were t- you know the, the to and fro on on social care yeah. was got too complicated, uh, because, yes uh, because, because people Ke- don't really get that. Keir Starmer said you've broken your manifesto promise and and Boris said no I haven't mm. and then you know that just didn't. didn't and also didn't everyone that I talk to is asking me the same question. Um, do you have to sell your house or not? Nobody well, really knows. Well, exactly. They can't work it uh, out. And and it is it is extremely complicated. Yeah. And the problem the problem is that that Keir Starmer couldn't decide whether to go on broken promises or whether he he was going on on the fact that it's. Uh, the, you know, the government's plan is actually a subsidy to to, to rich people, unlucky rich people who yes. need who need social care. Right. Uh, I mean, that's what the that's that's the bottom line. And at one uh, to, to start off with, Keir Starmer was saying, "Well, you've broken your manifesto promise," implying that he wants more mm. support for, right. for, for for rich people not to lose their houses. Yes. Uh, and then he was having a go at him for 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 for, uh, for, for, for hitting the north and the and the yeah, poor. Right. But I mean, the problem for Boris Johnson right now is, I would have thought, the fact that there is a kind of um, undercurrent, is there not, of, of, of a lack of kind of belief in him now, that a lot well, of people on, in his own party don't think he's right. They, there's a lot of talk this week about the gloss wearing off and people having seen behind the curtain of the Wizard of Oz and, you know, they've seen it all before and they're not really impressed anymore. Well, I think the, the, I think the really significant thing was the Owen Paterson business mm. when the Prime Minister asked his MPs to vote for something that was really outrageous yeah. and a lot of them didn't want to do it, and yeah. they, but they but they bit their lips and did it and then, they, and then the next day the Prime Minister turned around and said, oh, sorry, that yeah. was a mistake. Right. Uh, that was, uh, that, that was, that has really well, that was changed. that the start of the rot setting in, wasn't yeah, that, it? Yeah, that has really changed the relationship between the Prime Minister yeah. and, and, and his MPs. I mean, up to, up till then they thought, you know, yeah, I mean they don't. He's he's they they don't love him for what he stands for. They just they think he's the, the, a guy who can win elections. Yes. But once once he manages to annoy them, uh, so badly, mm. uh, I think that makes the relationship dangerous. And then you get things like PMQs yesterday, where uh, where the, as you say, the whips made sure that people were there and made a lot of noise. Mm. But that's all sort of artificial support, yes. isn't it? I mean, and 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 they very deliberately put Rishi Sunak sitting next mm-hmm. to next to the Prime Minister, which only draws attention yeah. to the fact that there have been stories in the press about tensions between them. But I guess the trouble is, if you put him somewhere else, then there's another story about well, how he's not sitting next to him. So exactly. you can't really win. You, you, can't, can't. you can't. But there is, I think, definitely something in the accusation that he's surrounding himself with these young, um, rather inexperienced individuals who are the spads in Downing Street, all of whom are kind of vetted and, and allowed in by Carrie. Um, and all of whom have no real experience in the real world. And, and because he's always had this reputation of kind of understanding the common man yeah. and woman on the street, he seems to be very far away from all that now. Well, that sounds very much like the sort of medieval um, you know, you know, criticism mm. of the king's advisers. There's no point criticising the king's advisers. It's the king who's, who, who, who makes the decision. It's Boris Johnson 
who yeah, but if you're sitting in a room constantly being told by people like Carrie Simmons that you know the most important thing in the world is to go green, (laughs) you're going to start believing it. Well, no, I mean, but I think Boris Johnson does believe that he does want to do do all that. He's got to take responsibility for all all his decisions. He decided that it was a good idea to try and get uh, yeah because they convinced him office punishment. No, I think he. I mean, yeah, obviously he listens to advice, but saying you know those the, the advisors are wrong implies that, you know, without with with a different set of advisors, Boris Johnson would somehow be transformed into well, a, I think a more true. effective prime minister. I mean, don't you think that when Dominic Cummings was there, he was operating in a very different way because he was being told different things by different people? Yes, and, and that was that was just as disastrous. Well, actually. maybe, but I mean, I mean, he's a pretty malleable individual, perhaps, and maybe that's <laughs> the problem. But, you know, the other theory, of, of course, I don't know what you think of this one, is that he doesn't like the job anymore and he'd quite like to find a way to get out of it. Yeah, I don't believe that for one second. Mm. The sort of people who become Prime Minister are people who are absolutely demented about right. uh, uh, ambition and, yeah. and wanting the job. I mean, that's the whole point. I mm. mean, that's the reason Alan Johnson isn't isn't Prime Minister now, which he could have been for for decades, yeah. uh, is because he he wasn't mad enough to want the job yeah. that much. Right. Uh, whereas someone like so Boris he's Johnson, normal. <laughs> yeah, he's normal. <laughs> that's why he would have been such be a, a good Prime Minister. He used to be a postman. Yeah. yeah. But, um, uh, but, but Boris Johnson wants to be prime minister desperately, and 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 I don't believe all this stuff mm. about you know Dominic Cummings is trying to put this about that you know he wants to go off and write this book on Shakespeare mm. and earn lots of money. Boris Johnson has written lots of books yeah. already. He's he's been he's he's been there yeah. and done that. Right. He's he's earned chicken feed at, right. the, uh, at the Daily Telegraph. For also, writing it's a witty bit like being an editor of a newspaper. Once you've been within that position. You don't really want to give it up, you do you? Never you never want to give it up. Because, I mean, because all it's, prime it's all powerful. You just have to snap your fingers and somebody goes and gets you a cup of tea or whatever it is, you know. All prime ministers want to be prime minister for as long as possible. I mean, Tony Blair had to be dragged. Well, they all of, have to be dragged, don't they? Margaret um, Thatcher had to be dragged, kicking yeah. and screaming, with a tear in the corner of her eye as she was I mean, led away, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Gordon yeah. Brown would have nailed <laughs> himself to the chair if he could. <laughs> Theresa you know. May. I mean, there are still <laughs> finger, fingernail marks on the, on yeah. the, on the door where right. Theresa May had to be dragged out. Yeah. I mean, Harold Wilson's the only person who actually... Actually, actually went, and there are all sorts of theories about why that was. Well, but I, mean, I don't believe it of Boris. Boris okay. Johnson wants to be prime minister for longer than Margaret Thatcher. I'm sure that's his. Uh, yes. I'm sure that's. But if that's it all, but if it all starts to go horribly wrong, he is a man who likes to be popular. And on the other hand, would he want to be there if he was being well, yeah. uh, painted as very unpopular? Well, Tony, Tony Blair wanted to be popular, but he realised he realised pretty early on he he couldn't be. Yeah. I mean, he was he was popular for a very long time, mm. uh, but he then continued to be prime minister for a very long time yeah. after. Well, I was fascinated by Tony Blair when he started saying things like, well, the thing is, you know, sometimes you have to do things that are unpopular. At that point, you went, right, so you've lost lost that (laughs) luster then. But, I mean, what about uh, what happened to the CBI? Because I was absolutely certain that that was a put-up job. There's no way that somebody goes, forgive me... Forgive what me. you think? You, I think he he did that deliberately. You think you think you 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 think that that caption on that uh, social media picture of Rishi Sunak at his computer deleting the page numbers <laughs> on the, on the prime minister's speech? You think that's the that's the explanation? No, no. I think he he, he absolutely <laughs> he, he absolutely wanted to go there and make a fool of himself because he quite likes making a fool of himself because he thinks it makes him endearing. But this, and, yeah. and he's in the midst of a quite big crisis in all sorts of ways. And it took, and it's all everybody talked about for two. But days. I think, yeah. But I, th- I think the thing about Boris Johnson is, is, is you can't tell where the line is between deliberate and 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 and, and not. No, because he's so used and to covering be, covering yeah, up absolutely. for making mistakes but, you know, by turning heard, it into a joke. Yes. And I, I think he, I, I mean, I've, I've watched that clip several times. Mm. He was really irritated that he couldn't find his page. Mm. I think, I think that was that was a that was an actual mistake. Mm. Uh, but he also knows 
that oh, oh you know I don't I know where I am I don't know though. I don't know I don't know who I'm supposed to be right. speaking to right. um, I don't know what I'm talking about I've forgotten yeah. the punchline of my joke yeah all that goes down extremely well mm. at after dinner speeches yeah it went down extremely badly uh, in front of business leaders exactly right but he hates the CBI anyway so and they hate him right. so, <laughs> you know. so what was he even doing there but it's fascinating so what happens now because we enter the sort of Christmas period I suppose shortly presumably recess comes what middle of December yeah um does he just limp on then? Oh, of course, yes, and and he will he will find uh, new things to get excited about. Probably hydrogen. Uh, that's that's one of the things he he he, he really likes. Mm. Uh, but he will have a very very tough winter because he's got. I mean, the, the 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 state of the NHS, as we know, and the fact that you know ambulance ambulance response times are so frightening. Mm. Um, that is going to really cut through to people. Yeah, and uh, I think. That's and gonna... and if people are getting charge ludicrous amounts of money even more now than they are uh, for energy and they can't afford to actually do anything yeah i think covid is kind of tar- starting to move away into the distance and it seems to me that they're not going to bring in vaccine passports they're not going to do anything more no, restrictive absolutely. because he really doesn't want to yes but the vaccine uh, euphoria that was 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 keeping uh, boris johnson uh, that's gone, up in the it? up in the opinion polls has gone yeah. so he's he's we're, we're down to normal politics now yeah. where a, you know where a government is just going to face crisis yeah. after crisis and problem that's after problem uh, and you know i can i can see you know as as one tory mp put it things can only get worse mm, i think that's right could be a good slogan for Boris. Um, <laughs> things can only get worse. Not here, though, of course, at the Independent Republican Mike Graham. John, thank you very much indeed. John Rental from the Independent. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Ben Habib, a businessman, former MEP, of course, chairman of Brexit Watch, because Ben and I have talked about this issue for many, many months uh, on, on, through the whole year and probably last year as well. Ben, um, a terrible thing has happened, finally, uh, that we have been warning about. It's surprising in a way, in some ways, that it hasn't happened before, isn't it? It is surprising. And I think all those who have uh, encouraged, turned a blind eye, supported um, bemoaned the fact that these people are suffering and in, uh, treated them incredibly well when they come across the channel. All those people have a hand in the responsibility of these deaths, as indeed does the, do the French authorities. You know, sing- singularly, I suppose I would put them right at the top of the list. They stand back and they watch these people launch their crafts from their beaches and do nothing about it in breach of their international obligations and in breach of their obligations to the United Kingdom. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, Mike, leaving aside all the people who may be caught in the net of responsibility that I've just cited, at the end of the day, we are an independent, sovereign nation. And it is the government that should take control of our borders. We cannot clearly rely on the French to do it for us. And we should have taken a grip of this months and months ago, if not years ago. We need a robust approach at the point that British waters commence in the Channel. And that must involve our Coast Guard and the Navy. And unless the Prime Minister gets on with doing that, I'm afraid this this problem is going to go on Mm. and on and on. They've had enough time to chat to the French. They've had enough time to make plans. Now is the time to take unilateral British action to prevent people coming across the Channel, which endangers not just uh, the integrity of the United Kingdom, but endangers, as we now know, their lives. 
Well, this is the thing, and I mean, it's taken until just about, what, last week, I think, for Priti Patel to start blaming the Schengen Agreement and the whole idea of open borders in Europe, uh, saying that if it wasn't for that, none of these people would be making all the way to, to Calais and then on to Britain. Well, I mean, you know, it's almost a beggar's belief that it's taking them so long to find a solution to this, because it doesn't seem to me that they've even really tried to find a solution. No. You know, we've got this bill going through, which is apparently not even going to have a chance of emerging as law until about April or May of next year if at all. Um, meanwhile, this is the first, I think, um, autumn where the numbers of people coming hasn't diminished at all. And in fact, if anything, it's increasing. Yeah, the Nationality and Borders Bill is a disgrace. As you say, it's been going through Parliament for months now and probably won't come into law next year. But even that doesn't give the government the authority it should be seeking in order to take forceful action at our borders. You look at what Poland did when it was threatened with unbridled um, you know, uh, pre-planned, if you like, emigration from Belarus into Poland. It had its army stationed on the border mm. in force. People were deterred by force. And that's what we need. This is our border. These people are illegal immigrants. They're being aided and abetted by the French, and we need to man our borders robustly. Yeah. We need to tow these people back to France, dump their dinghies back on their beaches, and if the French don't like it, well, they'll have to challenge the British Navy and our Coast Guard. Yeah. The R LI, instead of rescuing these people and bringing them back to British land, bringing them back to our shores, should dump them back in France. Mm. They must not be allowed to make it across the channel. That is the encouragement that gives the smugglers, uh, you know, the, the belief that they can go on doing this. Mm. They must be deterred. They must be stopped. When they know that they will be stopped, they will stop coming. Well, exactly right. The Australians managed to do it. And I know that it's not always um, a, a comparison that you can make because of the distances involved in trying to get a boat to Australia from wherever it is you're going from. Um, but, of course, it was said to be very expensive. David Davis was writing at the weekend about how, um, you know, finding a third country to put them in and process them in uh, is all very well. But it's vastly expensive and it ended up costing the Australian government something like a million pounds plus per migrant. Um, nevertheless, um, that's not to say that you shouldn't be spending that kind of money. Uh, even in Denmark, for example, they're giving um, immigrants money to go home, to back to Syria. Yeah. I mean, look, enough planning, Mike. They've yeah. got to take unilateral you know, action. Enough planning, enough chat about possible solutions. We have a Navy, we have a Coast Guard, and they should be charged with ensuring no dinghies cross the British line and, 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 and take them back to France mm. and let the French challenge us. And frankly, actually... We should prevent any fishing of any French boats in British waters until they stop migrants, these illegal migrants mm. coming across the channel. We should link the two subjects. Yes. Well, funnily enough, they, somebody suggested that to me the other day. For every boat that arrives, we should take away one fishing licence from the French and see how soon they then start sorting it all out. I, I take away all the fishing licences. The French treat us with absolute disdain. Um, you know, they blockade ports, they invade jersey they cut off electricity to jersey all for their fishing and 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 yet they here they are in breach of their international obligations their agreements with the united kingdom on these illegal immigrants causing the death of them by encouraging them to go across uh go across the channel we've got to take unilateral it's enough chat why does everything have to be done on a multilateral basis why mm. do we need to speak to the french in order to protect our borders mm. Boris Johnson, you have an 80-seat majority. If you need a law, pass it tomorrow and then make sure our borders are manned. It is absolutely our government's fault that our borders are not robustly 
uh, uh, monitored and these people dragged back to France. It is our fault. We can blame the French. Yeah, absolutely there to blame. We can blame the smugglers. Absolutely there to blame. We can blame 20 years of failed foreign policy, mm. problems in Afghanistan, Syria, North Africa, Iraq. Sure, that's all true as well. We can blame freedom of movement. That's all true as well. But all that has happened, very little of that is now in our control. But what we do have control of is our borders, and we must enforce that control. Yeah. I mean, Emmanuel Macron today is talking about some kind of Europe-wide approach. And while I, like you, think that we, we should look after our own country first, there is a problem in Europe because, unfortunately, Angela Merkel decided it'd be a great idea to invite loads of people to come to Europe where they could have a better life. And loads of millions and millions and millions of them came and have kind of changed the face of Europe, really, haven't they? Yeah, they have. And, you know, we haven't touched on the impact it's having on the United Kingdom, having all these different people here, often from countries which we've bombed, you know, yeah. countries which we have been, we've had a hand in destabilising and, and, and uh, you know, uh, massive destruction at, at our hand. And so they can't all be coming here feeling sympathetic towards the United Kingdom. There must be many among them who hold us responsible for the plights of their own country. And, you know, we saw that with the Liverpool bomber, didn't we? And yeah. we saw it with the with the guy who um, who very tragically killed David Amos. Mm. You know, we've got to stop these people coming across to the United Kingdom. Yes, in the fullness of time, we should reform our foreign policy. In the fullness of time, we should get rid of freedom of movement in Europe. In the fullness of time, we should re reach multilateral agreements, which would prevent this from hap happening in the first place. But we don't have the fullness of time right now. Mm. We must act, and we must act now. Boris Johnson has the majority. If he needs to pass it or pass it tomorrow, get on with it. Get the Coast Guard and the Royal Navy in action and ban French boats from our fishing waters until they get, get their act mm. together. But, of course, part of the problem has been, Ben, that people, many people in this country, have not wanted to talk about this subject, right? You and I have spoken about it. Nigel Farage raised it many, many months ago, probably years ago, um, and we knew that it was going to become a massive issue. But until now, lots of people didn't even mention it for fear of being accused of being racist, for fear of being told that they hated foreigners, uh, that we were somehow xenophobic to try and control, you know, what is massively an illegal operation. Yeah. I, and it, there's this, it's part of this whole woke thing, isn't it? People unprepared to call this illegal immigration, which is what it is. They yeah. call it migration. It's not migration. This is illegal immigration. If these people are in danger in their home countries... Um, then they need to make an application from their home countries for asylum in the United Kingdom. Mm. That is the legal process. Once they've made it to France, stay in France. I agree. I mean, I'm not a great fan of holidaying in France, and I probably wouldn't ever go there on mm. holiday. These people are safe in France. Yeah. They should stay there. Yeah, the food's quite good. You know, the wine's decent. And, uh, you know, I've got plenty to say about uh, the good things of living in France. But again, you know, um, it's this kind of attitude that all immigration is somehow good, and it's the chattering classes, the people who control, you know, the media, the people who write columns in newspapers, the people who won't have a bad word said about anybody that comes here because they must all be, uh, you know, sort of the tired, the huddled masses, the poor, you know, the underprivileged, and we must help them all. But these are all people whose lives are not affected by this. Yeah, it, it, it's awful, actually, Mike. You know, the population of the United Kingdom has gone up from 55 million to 68 million in the last 20 years. All of that is immigration. Yeah. All of that. Mm. So that... And that, whatever you say about multiculturalism and the, and, and the richness of society born out of different cultures all um, coming together, actually it puts a real strain on the social fabric of the United Kingdom. 
And we are experiencing it. We are now growing homegrown terrorists at a rate that, you know, very few Western countries have. And that is to do with this unbridled immigration and kicked off with Tony Blair and the Conservative Party, notwithstanding all their rhetoric to the contrary, have done nothing to control it. And we are seeing it is, I've, you know, I'm half Pakistani. And um, in, in a sense, you know, I, I, many people say to me, well, Ben, you're half Pakistani, you're trying to pull the ladder up once you're into the country. Actually, my mum's English. I yeah. have as much to be here as I do in Pakistan. Yeah. But the point is this, a country needs cultural integration. It needs a social fabric to be able to hold together and be strong. And what many of these people are bringing with them is an antipathy towards the values that we hold dear. the values actually, which enable them to come to our country in the first place. And this is the un these are the unsaid things that parliamentarians, the woke brigade, a lot of the media are unprepared to discuss. Mm. But it has to be discussed. As someone who's half Pakistani, I know some of the antipathy that is felt towards the United Kingdom, falsely and wrongly mm. felt, in, in my view. But it is felt, and we must protect the United Kingdom from that attitude. Absolutely right. Stay with us, Ben, if you would. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back. We're talking to Ben Habib, businessman, former MEP, chairman of Brexit Watch, of course, as well. We'll take your calls too. 0344 499 uh, is the number. The French are saying the migrants are coming over because of better prospects and jobs in the UK, which means that Brexit must be a success, uh, says Victor. Uh, and we are more prosperous uh, and not many opportunities in the EU. But that doesn't mean we should let them all come. And I think that's the point. You know, yes, Britain is a great place to come and live. And Britain is a much better place to come and live than some of the places where these people are coming from. But that does not mean that they have an automatic right to come and live here. It's like I said before, just because I quite fancy that I'm living in Beverly Hills. I can't just go and knock on somebody's door in Beverly Hills and say, I'm moving in. Is that all right for you? I'll just live in the front room. Is that fine? Yeah, no problem at all. This is Talk Radio. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray. 
on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Just going through some of the coverage in the papers this morning. There's pages and pages and pages of it. We're talking to Ben Habib, a businessman, former MEP, chairman of Brexit Watch, of course, as well. The boat was very frail. It was like a pool you blow up in your garden, uh, is the French minister's uh, quote from the, uh, uh, the scene where 27 people died. Um, also, apparently smuggling gangs, we're told, are charging migrants more than £3,300 for a place on one of these boats. And they're making hundreds of thousands of pounds per uh, boat, it would seem, Ben. And, and we were told just a few weeks ago that if um, they continue to come here, the boats will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And suddenly you'll be finding hundreds of people coming on boats rather than just dozens. Well, I mean, you know, as I said, unless we challenge them and we challenge them properly, taking them back to France, making them absolutely aware and left in no doubt that they will not be allowed to cross the channel unless that message gets across to these smugglers and there would be illegal immigrants. Unless that message gets across to them, they will continue to come and they'll come in bigger and bigger numbers Mm. because they know once they land on a British beach, they are given four-star hotel treatment. Um, You know, it's costing the exchequer a billion a year to look after these people. Um, you know, they know once they've made it across the channel, they're in nirvana, if you like. And so why wouldn't they have a go at doing it? Um, they're going to keep coming until the British government develops the political will to protect our borders. Mm. I mean, do you think the fact that there has now been uh, a, a disaster and 27 people are dead, do you think that might have an effect on some people no. who say, no. well, maybe it's more dangerous than we thought? No. Uh, One thing I can tell you for certain is that these people have a different view of the value of life. They will see that as just one of the risks that they have to take in order to come across. They've taken many, many risks in order to get to France in the first place. I don't think it'll be a deterrent at all. What they need to know is that they will not make it across the channel. Then they stop coming. Um, uh, You know, it's a tragedy, this. We see it as a much bigger tragedy than they will. Mm. And where are they getting the money from? Because, I mean, three and a half grand is not that easy to find if you're living in a refugee camp off the coast of Normandy. They will scrape, beg, steal and borrow in order to get across to the United Kingdom. You know, remember um, that, and first of all, the treatment they get here is fantastic, Mm. but what's painted for them when they're being enticed into these journeys is genuinely something approaching a relative heaven. You know, a lot of these people are coming from countries which are destroyed. Syria is basically destroyed. Afghanistan is basically destroyed. Large swathes of Iraq are basically destroyed. Yemen is a basket case. Mm. Libya is a basket case. And a lot of these countries are in that state because of British foreign policy for the last 20 years. You know, we've, in a sense, we've created the problem by going abroad and trying to export our ideology and our democracy down the barrel of a gun, bomb the hell out of these people. And then we've then Europe opened the door for them with freedom of movement and they've ended up back at our shores. And, you know, you couldn't have a more perfect storm created. And and the man who really started all of this, a man who must bear significant individual responsibility is Tony Blair. You know, he's left out of this debate, but he's the one who kicked off in Afghanistan. He's the one who kicked off in Iraq. He's the one who's, who championed the European Union, championed uh, unbridled uh, immigration yeah. into the UK, just at the same time as he was stirring up uh, the Middle and, and Near East. And David Cameron did much the same. So with the Arab Spring, you know, he was busy enticing Syrians to rise up against Assad. He was yeah. busy 
destabilizing Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Egypt came very close to becoming a failed state. Libya is a failed state. Tunisia came very close to being a failed state. This is all British foreign policy, largely prosecuted by Tony Blair and then followed on by David Cameron. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, Boris Johnson hasn't done any more of this. No, it's hard to imagine getting it more wrong, really, isn't it? I mean, almost everything that you think back to 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 what was done, it was all completely and utterly thoughtless. Nobody seemed to give any um, mention or, or give any thoughts of what might happen as a result of all of that foreign policy, would they? No, they haven't, and. I don't know why we're so obsessed by exporting our ideology, if necessary, as I say, down the barrel of a gun. Why why do we just assume that everyone wants democracy and wants the right to to, to live in the way that we do? Mm. Actually, the really critically important thing for most people, particularly in the middle, Near East and North Africa, is that they have a roof over their heads and they have food on the table. There are basic needs that need to be fulfilled before they worry about freedom of speech and the right to put an X on a ballot paper and put it into a box discreetly. You know, these are things that are uh, the privilege of 200 years of uh, of development, education, civilization. These countries are not on the same page as we are. And that's another reason, just going back to the comments I made before the break, another reason we must fear for our social fabric, Mm. because these people are coming here with a very different set of yardsticks, a very different set of values. And as I say, having seen many of their own countries destroyed at the hands of the British, so they're not going to be all coming here thinking, oh, my goodness, we're so pleased to be in the United Kingdom um, we're so grateful to the to the Brits for letting us in. A lot of them will be coming here harboring uh, antipathy towards us. And mm. we've got to take that on board. We have to understand that. Yeah. Well, one of the things I bang on about on a regular basis, because I happen to know about it because I live down there, is that there's loads more people coming than we even know. There's all sorts of people who get off boats, wander into towns in the southeast of England and who are never seen by anyone from Border Force. And they live uh, quite often rough uh, on the streets of this country or they live in the woods, in tents. And they're basically arriving in Britain. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows where they are. And nobody knows what they're going to do. No, it's it's it, it, it's awful. I mean, I suppose the only benefit um, of the lockdowns that we've had and um, the reduction in air travel is that a large amount of illegal immigration used to be people who came into the country legitimately with a visa, but right. then never left. Right. We, we never developed the technology or the ability to track them. And so, you know, that form of illegal immigration... Uh, about which we know nothing. We've got no real idea about the numbers that have come across that way. Mm. That at least has diminished during the course of 2020 and 2021. But we have got this new form, um, you know, on, on, on a rise. And this will continue. Our ignominious exit from Afghanistan and the empowerment of the Taliban, mm. which has caused a massive refugee crisis, by the way, in Pakistan, that is going to ripple through all the way from Pakistan. They won't, they won't be given any truck in Iran but they'll come through from Pakistan, through the Middle East, through the soft underbelly of Greece, and then with freedom of movement, they will be lining up on those French shores. Yeah, absolutely right. And then within a couple of days, they'll be in Ashford. Um, And that's unfortunate. (laughs) Ben, thank you very much indeed, as ever, for talking to us. Ben Habib, businessman, former MEP, chairman of Brexit uh, Brexit Watch. It is an extraordinary situation. But as I say, we've been talking about it for many months. Many people have not been talking about it at all. Now suddenly they're all waking up to it going, oh, isn't it awful? 27 people have died in the channel. Thousands of people have been coming here on a weekly basis for the whole year. It's ridiculous. It's totally and utterly mad. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. 
Let's say good afternoon to Mr. Craig McKinley. Craig, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, good, good to see you, Mike, on such a, you know, a day of tragedy that was so easily avoidable, mm. as you and I have been saying for some months. Well, we have. And I mean, it's quite interesting to me that today some of the reporting of this uh, is almost as though it's for the first time being learned about. You know, that we, as part of the media, expect the media as a general rule to behave as one. But of course it doesn't. And a lot of people are expressing some surprise that there's so many people have been coming here for so long. But it's been it's been at this kind of critical mass point for quite a while now, hasn't it? No, it most certainly has. I mean, I've been putting forward proposals for many, many months, uh, you know, very, very loudly, very obviously, mm. that with a hope that the French government might take them up. I mean, my first one a few months ago, which I think still has absolute validity, is a, an immediate returns policy. Yeah. Uh, that would have stopped the trade in a fortnight uh, because people uh, paying €3,000 would realise that this doesn't work, so why bother? Yes. Uh, you know, we're underlying this now, we've got a trade that's bigger than a drugs trade. Mm. You've got one of these bigger boats, which seem to be the formula that's being used, 50, 80 people on it, €3,000 each. You know, we're up to a quarter of a million euros, yeah. potentially, on each passage. It was obvious that this was going to happen in due course. I'm, I'm just absolutely appalled and, you know, very saddened today uh, that those siren calls by people like me who get sort of criticised mm. for making positive suggestions, exactly what we thought would happen, would happen. Now, yeah. the second proposal I put forward this week, and I put it forward, I haven't put it forward for a couple of weeks, but raised it with the Home Secretary on Monday, well, surely uh, you've got Poland has been asking for international help and warmly welcomed it on their border with, with Belarus. Mm. Uh, if the French are you know, struggling, not really capable or just, just having difficulties in patrolling their beach areas, then ask for help. Yeah. And I asked the Home Secretary, had she made that broad and, uh, and generous offer? And she confirmed that she had. And that had been rebuffed mm. because we just need to stop this trade. I mean, it, it's scarcely believable. Yeah. Two of the most advanced nations on the planet have been incapable of stopping this traffic. Maybe this appalling event last night will actually start things rolling. But you know, there were warning signs a few weeks ago on the 3rd of November. Mm. Two were lost in the channel. That should have been the start of this. And and just yesterday, Mike, you probably saw the photos as I did. And there was a picture of a, a, a boat being launched while the gendarmes were watching. Yeah. I mean, you, you could scarcely make this up, mm. scarcely make this up. Right. But the, the problem goes further back. We've got Frontex, who are the EU agency responsible for the external border of the EU. That's obviously not working. You've got Europe and others, the whole of the EU, signed up to the Dublin Three Accords, which say that the first country of entry, first safe country that uh, migrants come to, should be the country mm. in which processing takes place. So realistically, if that was working as it should do, these people shouldn't have been on the north, uh, northern shores of France in the first place. Right. I mean, we're waiting for, you know, dare I say, the, you know, the cavalry in the, the name of the new nationality and borders bill, but that's not going to be with us until the spring. Mm. Uh, and, and even then, will it actually do everything we hope it will? I certainly hope it will. But we need something more immediate i.e. now, yeah. to make this trade unviable. Yes, because from what I understand, um, and I haven't seen anything specifically reported, but my understanding from people that are getting in touch with me here is that the traffic is still coming. It hasn't stopped. Ben Habib was talking to me a bit earlier. He doesn't think that people will be put off by what happened yesterday, as tragic as it was, because they are so convinced that getting here uh, is the route to sort of all happiness. And, and, you know, I still hear from various rights organisations, refugee organisations, 
politicians who say completely the opposite to what you've just said, which is that oh, there's no uh, there's no legal requirement for them to to register anywhere. They can come wherever they like. It's not illegal to travel between countries to try and seek asylum. So I think people need to be told precisely what the law actually says. Well, I mean, in broad terms, we've got the 1951 Refugee Conventions. That's where all of this is founded upon. Mm. And it's a very reasonable convention that says that if people are facing persecution uh, or or, or death or, or whatever, and they have a right to asylum in a safe country. I mean, my view is that the safe country, there's plenty of them across Europe. Many of these people have have passed across Europe. So to say that uh, this is somehow a pick and mix is is really not right. But I mean, you know, we're talking about 27 souls have perished last night in dreadful circumstances, but it could have been solved. You don't need the wisdom of Solomon to know that this was going to happen at some time. Mm. And, and that is the infuriating thing about it. I mean, it, t- t- stopping the boats is not difficult. You know, we have drones, we have advanced technology, you know, we have armed forces, we have gendarmes. And last night's uh, crossing or the launching apparently happened near Wimmero, mm. which is not too far from Calais, a well populated area, not not sort of tucked away in a sand dune miles away where nobody's about. Right. This was recognized. So uh, if, if the parties can now come together and stop this from happening, we will stop the future deaths. But there's lots going wrong across the whole immigration system yeah. across uh, the EU. And something needs to be done about it. And very, very soon. Because well, we right. have literally tens of millions of people across the world that would rather be elsewhere than where they are at the moment. Yeah. And they're not going to stop coming anytime soon. And I mean, as we found out rather much to our cost, luckily it didn't turn out quite as bad as it could have done. But the Liverpool bomber um, had applied and failed to get asylum back in 2014. But he was still living here in this country in a place which was being paid for uh, by the government. Well, I think you highlight the, some of the pull factors that we are, you know, are uniquely our problem. Mm. Uh, I heard some news last night that Germany tends to uh, roll around their uh, asylum claims within six months. Right. And it's not uncommon in the UK for it to take eight to ten years. Mm. That means there is a fundamental problem with our immigration courts and that system. Uh, I mean, it's not fair on anybody. If you have a right to uh, asylum, great, let's get it through quickly. If you haven't, that similarly needs to be put through quickly and repatriations need to happen. Because you and I know, Mike, over the last year, uh, as ever, blamed on COVID, uh, the number of uh, deportations has been very much approaching zero. And that does nobody any good. So it adds to that pull factor. Uh, The thought that if you manage to get to British soil, you're likely to be here uh, for a long period, um, if forever. Yes, and, and so that is a domestic issue that we need to solve. And many, Again, and many of those borders bill is meant to stop some of those routes of appeal. So mm. we'll see how that works. Well, that's right, because many of those who are uh, supposedly going to be deported and then are sort of pulled off the plane at the last minute are not simply asylum seekers. Many of them, most of them, I believe, are criminals. People who have actually served time in prison in this country for some quite serious crimes. And we can't even seem to be- manage to deport them. No, I mean, we've had the Jamaica deportation flights are the case in point. I think you're, you're talking about we have the very last minute, literally, as they're buckling up on the plane, uh, last minute appeals, which uh, stop them from being deported. And it's very strange that in each and every one of these cases, we end up with a UQ coming from the Labour benches saying how, how dreadful it all is. Mm. I mean, I would have thought if you've got a convicted criminals, some very, very heinous offences, I, w- I would have thought all and every one of, of, of normal thinking people in the UK should be saying, well, 
thank, thanks for that, uh, to actually uh, get these people back to the country from whence they came, uh, who had no right in this country and had been conducting uh, illegal and, and very criminal, some, sometimes serious, including rape activities. So uh, the, the trouble is we have got a, on the migrant crisis, we've got criminal gangs earning significant money. I mm. mean, this is this is better than drug dealing. Yeah. And uh, that is yeah. the driver of this. And all the while, I mean, I, I don't want to denigrate the French too much because we, we are hopefully going to be working with them on this, solving this crisis. But you know, the, the problem lies with them because these people have launched from their shores under their nose, could have been stopped a while ago, and nothing mm. has been done. And as ever, we get some of the, you know, the, the migrant refugee groups. You know, I've, I've been on some media with them this morning. Their solution is, well, we just open the door and let these people yeah. in. Well, I, I'm afraid that will yeah. not do. No. And that will not pass muster with me, as, as you can well understand. No, of course. And, of course, one of the arguments they use a lot is that, uh, oh, well, you know, France takes more people than we do and Germany takes more people than we do. Well, they're much bigger countries with much bigger landmass and fewer people by, you know, definition in terms of the actual square mileage of the place. Um, but, I mean, this is such a big operation. As you say, it's now more lucrative than drug dealing. It mustn't be that hard to spot what's going on in France because these, these gangs must be operating along those coasts in ways which are very easy to see. Well, I, I've been saying this for months. We've got drones. There are, I mean, it, it is a 100-mile beach, and that sounds like a lot of beach. But I know that North Kent coast quite, or North um, France coast mm. quite well. There are quite a limited number of ways down to the beach uh, with a van or a, a pickup truck mm. and the rather substantial dinghy and an outboard that probably weighs upwards of 50 kilos. So these aren't things that can just sort of just go under the radar. No. And with the technology available in an advanced country like France and with Britain willing to assist. I mean, let, let's not forget, we've paid 54 million pounds to France to say, yeah, please do this for us. We did similar with the uh, Calais port. We strengthened that with tens of millions of pounds of UK taxpayers' money. And broadly, it seems to have worked. I think the assumption was give the French the money to do similar along the coast and we will solve this problem as well. But, uh, you know, sadly, that hasn't been happening. Right. I mean, I do understand just last night there were 780 gendarmes patrolling that 100 mile of beach. A lot of people, obviously, but uh, they're still slipping through. And uh, with those stories and pictures we saw yesterday, seems to be a bit of a, a, a blind eye going on to some of this activity. Right. That blind eye has now cost lives and it needs to mm. stop. Otherwise, I'll be on this radio program with you in a couple of weeks' time when it's happened all over again. And it is quite remarkable. Just after last night, we've had a number of beach landings just this morning right. doing the same old formula. Yes. It seems extraordinary that, that that's being allowed to happen, isn't it, as well? And and as far as Pretty Patel is concerned, you said you made some um, representations to the Home Office the other day. I mean, does she not need to come out and be very firm about this and say something which is actually going to be working rather than appearing to just kind of dither and say, well, we're going to try and take control of it, but it's really the French's fault. You know, it's in our gift, isn't it, to do something? Well, if it were only that simple, I mean, there are two sides to, to, to the channel, the French side and our side. I mean, if you were to uh, listen or read the hand side of the urgent question that was on Monday in Parliament, Priti Patel was extremely robust. And she answered my question about how about the suggestion of offering, uh, you know, our own border force mm. and troops onto the shores of northern France. She actually confirmed that the offer had been made. I mean, I think it might have done her uh, a service to have actually made that very public beforehand. Uh, 
so that we would recognize that things are being done, requests are being made of the French authorities, and they're being rebuffed. Uh, because this is a, as you can imagine, Mike, a very serious political issue now. My email inbox is full. It is the number one issue at the moment. Yes. People hugely concerned because, you know, we, we got elected on taking back control of our laws, borders and money. Well, the borders bit doesn't look like it's really working at the moment. But putting this into context, mm. you said earlier on that France and Germany do take a lot more asylum seekers than we do. Well, I, yeah, I, I get that. Um, but you know, the, the reality is the old routes of going on the back of a lorry through Calais broadly stopped. Um, this is very different. This is very visible. Mm. This this just looks like um, state failure. Yeah. Uh, when we've got the capacity to send you know, the Royal, Royal Navy and a Queen Elizabeth class carrier to the South China Sea to rattle a few sabres, and we can't seem to stop a few mm. dinghies coming across the channel. And, and that's people's concerns. Yes. But, you know, realistically, the numbers actually coming in, claiming asylum under this route, are actually slightly less than what we usually saw in the old days mm. uh, under the old back of the lorry route, apparently. So, you know, the numbers aren't massively huge, but the optics and the politics are very, very dangerous yes and and, and it's, it's very so troubling and it's very troubling for people who live in those areas where these people are landing because you know they see what's going on and it's not just the people that border force are bringing in or rnli there's also lots of and i talk about this a lot there's a lot of boats that pitch up that nobody even knows about people just walk off them and wander into the town it happens in dungeness every day yeah, I, I think we have a little bit more of a grasp of how many people are actually coming in because, you know, the, the new um, reason for coming is actually to claim asylum. So it's slightly different. I think the old back of the lorry route, the, it was very clandestine because people had often claimed asylum in France, been through their system, been rejected, unfortunately not reported, mm. uh, not deported by France. And then they came on the back of a lorry to just disappear into the underground economy of the UK. Yeah. I think these are different. They're actually looking for asylum. They're often looking to be found. But I had a, a couple of instances this summer uh, where I had holidaymakers on the beach of Ramsgate and Broadstairs and uh, uh, and, and one of these dinghies. Yes, I remember up, that picture. Um, yeah. much, much to the concern. Yeah, I mean, it really is quite extraordinary. Craig, thank you very much indeed uh, for talking to us. Craig McKinley, Conservative MP for Thanet, member of the COVID Recovery Group, of course, as well. Um, this is a massive problem. We've been saying it's a massive problem for a long time. I've been saying it's the single biggest issue that needs to be solved by the government. Craig has just said that as well, that he's got massive amounts of emails in his inbox from people who are very, very concerned indeed that this needs to stop. And it does need to stop, and it hasn't stopped today, when it should have stopped after what happened yesterday when 27 people perished in the English Channel because their boat capsized. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.